Chapter Two of the Wild Irishman by Thomas William Hodgson, T. W. H. Crossland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Brandon. Chapter Two, The Shillelagh. As the Yorkshireman is said to sport on his escutcheon a flea, a fly, and a flitch of bacon, so in the popular imagination an Irishman of the real old sort is usually conceived in association with a pig a pipe and a shillelagh rightly considered one supposes that the shillelagh is a survival of the prehistoric club in any case it is a weapon of some character chiefly notable for its handiness in the matter of skull-cracking and believed to be the pride and joy of every patty worth his salt the shillelagh has undoubtedly earned for the irish a reputation for roguish and heroic delight in battle tread on the tail of my coat now is supposed to be forever on irish lips with immediate results in the article of broken heads and when we english wish the use of a metaphor for rows and scuffles free fights and so forth we have a habit of remarking that the affair amounted to a regular donnybrook Donnybrook, of course, being a sort of feast of shillelaghs, to which all Ireland was wont annually to repair. Of the number of shillelaghs in Ireland, at the present moment the blue books give no account. It seems to me doubtful whether there are a thousand in the whole country. One may travel through Ireland for weeks on end and come across nothing of the sort. The only shillelagh I had the pleasure of seeing in the course of a recent lengthy irish journey was in the hands of a very ill-clad youth who looked more like a lancashire cotton operative out of work than a broth of a boy and the shillelagh in question was of polished black wood without knots and the top of it had a nickel silver knob like a bow's cane the weapon indeed reminded me of nothing so much as a salmon and gluckstein silver-headed ebony walking-stick cut short the owner proudly assured me that it was his bit of a blackthorn and the finest for miles around it seems more than probable that the shillelagh notion of an irishman had at one time something in it while donnybrook fair has been suppressed there can be no getting away from the fact that there once was a donnybrook and a pretty warm one to boot says the poet who has e'er had the luck to see donny brook fair an irishman all in his glory is there with his sprig of shillelagh and shamrock so green his clothes spick and span new without e'er a speck a neat barcelona tied round his neat neck he goes to a tent and he spends half a crown he meets with a friend and for love knocks him down with his sprig of shillelagh and shamrock so green and for love knocks him down is quite in the rail owled spirit a spectator at the donnybrook held on the twenty ninth august eighteen twenty eight described it as follows i rode out again to-day for the first time to see the fair at donnybrook near dublin which is a kind of popular festival nothing indeed can be more national the poverty the dirt and the wild tumult were as great as the glee and merriment with which the cheapest pleasures were enjoyed i saw things eaten and drunk with delight 
which forced me to turn my head quickly away to remain master of my disgust heat and dust crowd and stench made it impossible to stay long but these do not annoy the natives there were many hundred tents all ragged like the people and adorned with tawdry rags instead of flags many contented themselves with a cross on a hoop one had hoisted a dead and half-putrid cat as a sign the lowest sort of rope dancers and posture makers exercised their toilsome vocation on stages of planks and dressed in shabby finery dancing and grimacing in the dreadful heat till they were completely exhausted a third part of the public lay or rather rolled about drunk others ate screamed shouted and fought the women rode about sitting two or three upon an ass pushing their way through the crowd smoked with great delight and coquetted with their sweethearts it is notable however that our eyewitness continues my reverence for truth compels me to add that not the slightest trace of english brutality was to be perceived they were more like french people though their gaiety was mingled with more humour and more genuine good-nature both of which are national traits of the irish and are always doubled by Puccin. not only is donnybrook gone but the whole atmosphere which rendered donnybrook possible appears to have gone with it the knocking down of a friend for love or out of sheer gaiety and volatility of soul no longer ranks among the irishman's accomplishments if he fights at all which is seldom he fights now with clenched teeth and a fierce hatred at his heart and usually it is about religion and has nothing whatever to do with either fun or pachin in dublin no more fighting goes on than occurs in the average english city of the same size in belfast the fighting is frequent but it is eminently scotch and therefore not to be charged against ireland out of ulster there is scarcely any fighting at all pachin or no pachin at the same time in one city out of ulster which i will not name i was advised by the proprietor of a hotel to prolong my stay because we are expecting riots on monday whether the riots came off or not i do not know but i saw no accounts of them in the papers it is of course common knowledge that shillelaghs laid on one side the irishman makes an admirable soldier in point of fact he is a much better soldier than the scot though he has never had the credit for it the best english generals from wellington to lord roberts have been irishmen which is a paradox not a bull the irish never run away in our late wars certain non-irish regiments which were neither english nor welsh did run away it is significant that mr kipling's soldiers in soldiers three for example are irish cockney and yorkshire and that the irishman is set down for the smartest man i have seen it remarked and i believe it can be justified out of the military histories that while the irish and english regiments have usually done the rough and tumble hand-to-hand -hand fighting in our most famous engagements the gentlemen with the bare knees have had the good fortune to be sent in at the tail end of the trouble 
merely to execute a little ornamental sweeping up to the eye of officers and women nothing looks nicer than kilts and spats to disarrange them were a pity therefore whenever possible we should hold them in reserve on the parade ground and in processions the same thing applies the plaudits of the crowd being invariably forthcoming for the bonny bare-legged laddies newly enlisted mayhap out of glasgow and dumfries while seasoned irish warriors go past without a hand-clap but it is the kilts that do it there may be nothing in this and anyway i do not suppose that the irish care twopence but the points for us to remember while we are on this part of our subjects are that the shillelagh is an effete weapon that in irish differences the principle of a word and a blow does not prevail and that the irish soldier is very competent and very courageous end of chapter two recording by john brandon